us. Uh, so we're going to have a full retreat. It's going to be packed. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, so tw- July 22nd through 24th. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a wonderful time. So what's, what's on July 24th, Lily? What's special about that day? It's my birthday. That's right. Advance always falls on my birthday, which is a ton of fun. It's like a huge birthday party. That's, I go to Advance that, that day, and I'm always like, oh, look at this. Look what they did for me. This is awesome. It's a big birthday party for me. And you know whose birthday it is today? I think. Is it Leah? Is it your birthday today? So happy birthday. Thanks for serving us by singing on your birthday. I can't believe Sam didn't mention that. I asked about relatives. Like, teed him up to mention your birthday, and he totally... I don't think he knew it was your birthday. He forgot, you know. He just doesn't care. So, Sam for you. All right, Vance, um, a couple of other things coming up. Uh, fun event for the month of uh, April is the Park Day. So, Relay, we're going to do a Park Day, which is April the 18th, 4 to 8 p.m. That's a Sunday night. So, what we've done is we've rented um, the large pavilion at the Cove, which is just down North Shore. We've got that reserved from 4 to 8 p.m. So you can bring kayaks. Um, we're going to have the grills going. You can bring some picnic food or some hot dogs or whatever you want, hamburgers for dinner. Uh, we're going to have sand volleyball going on. We're going to use the sand volleyball court, set up some spike ball, have that going on. Um, it's a lot of fun. So it's just a Sunday evening. Hopefully the weather will be nice. We'll get to hang out together totally free. Just bring some food, bring your hammocks, bring a kayak, stuff like that. So that is coming up on April the 18th. Um, we also have a night with Ted Tripp for Relay Parents, which I want to highly um, recommend all the parents to come to this night. So Dr. Tripp is going to come uh, April 24th on Saturday morning. He's doing a parenting seminar, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And then Friday night before that seminar, um, he's doing a night just for parenting teens. So I think this is either his third or fourth time coming and doing this for us. And I can tell you uh, just how many times I've gone back over my notes of him talking about the teen years, how to parent, how to encourage your teenagers, how to transfer the gospel to them. Uh, it's really kind of him to come and do this for us. So I want to encourage all the parents to come April 23rd. It'll be in here. It's a Friday night, 7 p.m., totally free Friday night. Saturday morning, there's going to be um, a fee for the Shepherding a Child's Heart Conference because we have child care and things like that. But Friday night is completely free. So I want to encourage all parents, put that on your calendar, mark that. He'll teach for about one hour, and then we'll have Q&A for an hour. So you can text in questions, and then I'm going to moderate a Q&A with him for about an hour. So it should be a really good night with Ted Tripp. Um, if you don't know him, he wrote the book Shepherding a Child's Heart. He wrote Instructing a Child's Heart, and just wonderful teaching about applying the gospel to the next generation. So highly recommend for you to come to that. Um, one note for our upperclassmen, juniors and seniors, last month, we talked about having a VFC night um, where we're going to go to the VFC house and have food and get to meet the interns and just talk about um, that transition from high school to college and what that might look like for you. And so we had originally scheduled that for April the 17th, a Saturday night, but VFC has moved their spring retreat to that night. So that has been rescheduled for May the 1st. So if you're a junior, a senior, mark your calendar for May the 1st. We're going to head down to the VFC house have a night with some VFC interns. Zach and I will be down there. And just talking about that transition to college. Parents, you are welcome to come that night as well if you would like to attend that. And then finally, next relay is May the 5th. 
so you can mark your calendar for the next relay, first non-community group Wednesday night of the month. I think that is it for upcoming events. Lots of good stuff coming up. Excited about this summer. One of the things uh, I, I'm thinking about too, just so you know, is we're kind of thinking about the summer and getting to do a lot of things outdoors. We're excited about advance. And I'm also planning on doing the summer studies once again. So last summer was the first time we did this where Saturday mornings we did a book study for about six weeks, kind of after school gets out, before advance. Um, and we're going to do that again this summer. So we're going to have a group for middle schoolers. We're going to have a group for underclassmen. We're going to have a summer study, a book study for upperclassmen. And then I'm also thinking it'd be really cool to do like a Saturday morning book study for six weeks for moms and dads as well. Uh, I'm thinking about the moms going through the book Mama Bear Apologetics, which is an awesome book. Um, just talking about like as a mom, uh, how do you instill these values in your children? I think it'll go along with our worldview series. I'm still thinking about uh, a good book for dads, maybe something like Future Men or something like that. So excited about our, our studies coming up this summer. They're going to be on Saturday morning. So you can just kind of have that on your radar and be thinking about that. And if you have any suggestions for good books, like I'd love to read this book together with a group of people and study it, you know, just taking recommendations. I'm thinking through the best resources for different ages. So let me know if you have something that you would enjoy reading. All right, so we are in our third message in our worldview series. Um, we've talked about, let me do a little recap real quick over the last two months. Uh, worldview we talked about is kind of the lens by which we interpret everything around us in the world. We talked about how our worldview has to begin with God. This is the first month when we did this. We talked about how it has to be God-centered. In contrast to naturalism that doesn't believe in anything supernatural or immaterial, we, we have to know God. In contrast to new spirituality, which has this vague notion of this energy force or this higher spirit out there that we can't really define you know, we as Christians believe that God created the world and that we can know him because he is not silent. Even this Sunday, uh, leaving church on Sunday morning, I was driving home Easter Sunday and I had the radio on. I can't remember what station I had on, but it was interesting. It was like a church service from the National Cathedral or something like that. So kind of a national church service on Easter they were broadcasting. And the person that was sharing was talking about God and the person on the radio who was sharing this Easter sermon said, they said, um, they mentioned God or the universe or the higher spirit or whatever you call the higher being. And I remember hearing that, like this is a national, like this is what represents. And I just remember going, that's new spirituality. That's pantheism. God is not the universe, you know. God is separate from the universe. He created the universe. He does not have a body like us. And I remember just hearing that, thinking, you know, these things we're talking about are important to really know so you can discern when you hear things like that. I want you to be hearing that on the radio and going, that's new spirituality. God has a name. He tells us exactly who he is. He's not just an energy field or a higher spirit. You know, he is Yahweh. He is Jesus. He's the Holy Spirit. Um, so we have to be God-centered and know God in our worldview. Last month, we talked about 
humanity being made in the image of God and the value and dignity that brings to every person that God created us for his glory and not our own. And every person we meet is an image bearer of God and we must treat them with respect and dignity. Worldviews have to answer certain questions. Why are we here? Where did we come from? What is the purpose of our life? How do we know right from wrong? And this month, we're going to answer the question that every worldview has to answer is what's wrong with the world? And how did it get to be that way? So every worldview has to deal with this question of there's good and there's evil and there's bad things that happen in this world. And it has to give an explanation for what went wrong in the world. Carl Truman in his book, The Rise of the Modern Self, tells a story about two different historical figures and how they answer that question, what went wrong. The first person he talks about is Augustine. Augustine was uh, an early church father who wrote a book called The Confessions. And in this book, he tells a story about stealing some pears. Uh, It's a really interesting section. I remember the first time I read Confessions, uh, I was in college. I was kind of confused about it, but it really gets after the worldview by the time he wraps up the story. So he talks about stealing these pears where he's out one night and he's with a big group of guys and uh, he's an older teenager and they go to one of his neighbor's yard and his neighbor has all these pears and they think, man, how funny would it be to steal this guy's pears? You know, like, That's what you did in the fourth century, I guess. You know, you stole pears. It was like living it up on a Friday night. And so they go and they steal the pears, but they're not attractive, he says. They didn't even look good. They didn't taste very good. And Augustine's saying that he even had pears in his own garden that were better than these pears. But they stole these pears and they ended up throwing the pears to pigs and just dying laughing. And they thought it was just hilarious. And it played on Augustine's mind. And he kept wondering just for years. He kept going. Why why did I steal those pears? He felt guilty about it. He acknowledged that it probably had something to do with him that he was with his friends. He says, you know, if if I was alone, I would have never stolen those pears. But there was something about this group where we just thought it was so funny just to do this. And, And Augustine decides it really wasn't greed or envy that led him to this theft but rather he said it was the sheer delight in just breaking the law just something that that was just funny to them about doing something wrong and stealing from this person and so Augustine as he thinks about this and meditates on it Augustine decides that there's something intrinsically wrong inside of him he says there's something wrong inside of my heart and he sees this in himself And he sees this in his friends and he starts looking around and he sees this everywhere. Everybody has something wrong inside of them, he decides. Hundreds of years later, a philosopher named Rousseau also wrote a book called Confessions. And in it, he tells a story about how a friend of his persuaded him to steal some asparagus. I don't know what's up with stealing fruit and vegetables here, but these are the stories, okay? So he had a friend who convinced Rousseau to go and steal this asparagus, and they were going to sell the asparagus, and then his friend was going to get the money because he needed some money. 
And so Rousseau does this. He steals the asparagus. He sells it. He makes money for his friend. And it, like Augustine, begins playing on his mind. And he feels guilty. And he begins thinking through it. And he, you know, Rousseau starts thinking, I wasn't really motivated by greed because it didn't really benefit him to steal these things. The money went towards his friend. And Rousseau comes to the conclusion that he is basically good. And that he had a good desire and it was his friend who convinced him to do something wrong. And so Rousseau decides that basically in his heart, inside of him, he is a good person. And it's other people, it's society and it's bad friends and it's these people. It's really society that makes us do bad things. And so Rousseau begins to to, to live this out. He begins thinking about his life and he says, you know, my boss treats me badly and that's why I'm lazy and that's why I lie to him because he's a bad boss. And his dad was too harsh to him and it, it made Rousseau manipulative and covetous of others' family relationships. And basically he decides society was to blame for any faults in Rousseau because he was just responding to being mistreated. And this is what Carl Truman says about these two men hundreds of years apart. He says, Augustine blames himself for his sin because he is basically wicked from birth. Rousseau blames society for his sin because he is basically good at birth and then perverted by external forces. See how both of these men answered this question, what went wrong? That's worldview. And that, that one question, they, they had to think about and they felt guilty and they did something wrong and they did something that was, you know, their conscience was telling them, I feel bad about this and I have to decide, why am I doing these bad things? And that, how they answered that question led to a worldview, how they interpreted everything around them. And so we have to answer the question, Is humanity basically good inside or basically bad? Another way you could ask it is why do people do bad things? Is it something inside of us or something outside of us causing us to do bad things? And the reason it's important to get this question right is because if you get the answer wrong, then you get the cure wrong. And what's happening right now in our society and our culture is most people believe that's what, what is wrong with us. It's not us. It's other people around us imposing their morality on us. And they're saying, you know, you are basically a good person. And the scripture has something to say about that. And there's a number of Man, there's so many illustrations of this all around us. There's a number of movies talking about this and shows dealing with this and books. In 2017, the movie Wonder Woman came out. Is it, did anyone watch the, the movie Wonder Woman? Several folks. Well, it kind of dealt with this question, you know. The movie opens with Diana, Wonder Woman. And the first lines of the movie is, It's a land of magic and wonder, worth cherishing in every way. But the closer you get the more you see the great darkness simmering within. And so Diana is trying to to figure out this war and why these men do these evil things. And she believes the source of this evil is this God Ares. And she thinks if she can kill him, then people will no longer do evil things. And she thinks she's killed him. 
And then there's this moment where she comes to this realization. So I want to show you this quick clip from this part of the movie, Wonder Woman. I killed him. I killed him, but nothing stopped. You killed the guy before, you stopped the war. Exactly what we have to do now. No, all of this should just be the fight. You, you don't have to fight. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. They can stop fighting now. Why are they still fighting? That's because maybe, maybe it's them. Maybe people aren't always good. Aries or no Aries. Maybe it, it's just, it's who they are. That's good. Thank you. I, I found that, that clip so fascinating because when she learns, you know, maybe people aren't always good. Her response is she, she can't believe people would do things like that. Can't believe, you know, she sees this war and people murdering and murdering children and it doesn't make any sense to her. And her conclusion is, well, if people are really this bad, maybe they're not worth saving. You know, which just made me think, how amazing is it that God saves us even when we're that bad, that we don't deserve it, but he loves us that much. Even in our evilness, he comes and saves us. But she's confused because she can't believe people are that evil and bad. Last month, we talked about being made in the image of God, that there is value and dignity in every human life. And the Bible starts there in Genesis 1. Remember we talked about this. How God made man and woman in his image. And God looked around at everything he made. And God said not only was it good. But it's very good. Men and women. Adam and Eve. Everything he created. There was this perfect harmony. And everything was good. But quickly in Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters into the story. And I, and I, and I I was going to read it, but I know we don't have to read the account because you guys have heard this. You remember what happens when Satan tempts Eve and she bites the fruit that God forbid them to eat. And then she gives it to Adam and he eats of it and sin enters into the world. And it answers the question for us from the very beginning of the Bible. It answers worldview questions of where did we come from? God created us. Why are we here? For God's glory. We're image bearers of God. What went wrong? Why is there evil? Why are these things going in? And Genesis 3 explains to us why these things are in the world. And it begins inside each one of us. And we begin to see the effects of sin almost immediately in the Bible. Genesis chapter 4, we have Cain and Abel and the first murder 
rooted in jealousy and anger because Cain's offering is not accepted by God. And he becomes jealous of Abel. In Genesis chapter 6, I think we have these verses for you, verses 5 through 6. We just see this evil is just spreading. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. He was so grieved by what had become of men and women in their sin. And so by Genesis chapter 7, we see the flood and God wiping out, wiping out humanity and this corruption and evil on the earth. And even in that moment, God is still merciful to save Noah and his family, to preserve someone, to continue filling and ruling and subduing the earth. And as you go through the scriptures, I mean, just the beginning pages of our Bible, it begins to develop our worldview of, of these, answering these questions for us. And as we go through Genesis 7 and you can begin reading about Abraham and how imperfect he is. And then Isaac and Jacob. And you just go through the line and you realize, man, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus picks up on this in his teaching and continually, continually goes after the scribes and the Pharisees because they continually think, oh, I can, be a, I can be a righteous person. I can be a clean person by obeying these certain things. And he keeps telling them, no, it's not, it's not like you can observe and, and, and clean your clothes and eat this certain food and be clean. And we've done this verse a lot in Relay, but Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 says, for from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. When G.K. Chesterton was asked, to write an article answering the question, what is wrong with the world? They asked all these different philosophers and Christians and non-Christians to answer the question, what is wrong with the world? And they said to send in an essay with your answer, answering this worldview question. Here was G.K. Chesterton's response. He said, dear sir, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. I thought that's the, the perfect response. I'm what's wrong with the world. We are the problem. It's within us. The problem isn't our culture, our government, the people out there. The problem, the Bible says, begins in here. The problem isn't our parents. It's not our friends. It's not our teachers. We are the problem. Your greatest enemy is your sin. And your parents are your best friends because they will address your greatest problem. And so in a worldview series, as we look at what's wrong with the world... What's gone wrong with the world? What scripture does is instead of looking around and blaming everybody out there with what's wrong with the world, it makes us look in and say, you know, what's wrong with the world is what's wrong with my heart. It's sin, it's pride, it's, it's self-love, it's envy, it's slander, you know. It's that I don't give glory to God or thank God or recognize him as God. Sin corrupts our hearts, it corrupts our desires, it corrupts our minds. 
to think untrue and shameful things. It corrupts our feelings. It corrupts our will so that we do not choose what is good. Our whole nature is corrupted by sin. This is what theologians call total depravity. If you ever heard that term, total depravity. It means that every single part of us has been touched and tainted by sin. Doesn't mean we're as bad as we possibly could be because there's still some common grace and there's some grace on our life, but it means every single part of us is touched by sin. Our mind and our will and our affections and our love and our desires, all these things are corrupted by sin. And Scripture tells us right away, even in Genesis, not only does that corrupt us and corrupt this world, but the problem is, is that our sin is first and foremost against our Creator, God. And so when you answer the question, where did we come from and why are we here and what went wrong, it introduces into Scripture, really the problem is we've been separated from God. Because God hates our sin. Even this morning in my Bible reading plan, I'm doing the Discipleship Journal Bible reading plan, and I'm reading through uh, the book of Joshua. And I hit this section where it's the sin of Achan and where he, you know, God tells him to, to commit everybody to destruction and to take these certain things, these sacred things, and they belong to the Lord. And so they don't go to the people and he steals something and hides it. And God makes them lose in battle. And then God through, you know, he, God reveals through this clan, through this whole tribe and this clan, and he narrows it down to this one man and says, you're the one who's done this. And they take him outside, him and his family, outside the camp, and they stone him to death and burn him. And then they pile these stones on his body. And I'm reading this from my devotions this morning. And I'm going, wow, that's so encouraging this morning, you know? Like, isn't God good? And I was reading that this morning going, man, the Lord is holy. And when God commands us to not do something, and, and this one man's sin affects all of Israel, millions of people, they lose this battle. Men lose their lives because of this one man's sin, because of his greed. And he even says, I coveted it. That was the whole cause of all of this. His heart, his coveting these things, he stole them and had effect on all the people of Israel. And I read about his death and I thought, the Lord is holy. And sin is not just a, it's not a laughing matter. It's not just a, you know, just something, yeah, sin's the problem. No, sin is against a holy God. And it explains our worldview. It explains what's going on in the world around us. When we see racism in the world around us, that's not, you know, it, it's evil and it's wicked, but it's not surprising because we understand sin. We understand how we can elevate ourselves over little things like our skin color or the way we look, or you know, we can be proud ourselves about little things about ourselves. It explains why people are immoral, you know, and you can just open the newspaper, and you can just start reading articles and going, sin explains what went wrong with the world. And I understand this wickedness and evil. G.K. Chesterton, again, referred to the doctrine of original sin, I thought this was so smart. He said, The doctrine of original sin is the only part of Christian theology which can really be proved. I thought that is so true. I mean, our, our, our worldview, our Christian worldview, answers the question for us. What's wrong with this world? 
Naturalism can't answer this question. Evolution can't answer this question. It's interesting to me when people who uh, have a a non-Christian worldview, don't believe in the Lord, don't believe in God, and they try to answer this question, I just kind of scratch my head because they have morals. And they even want to say these things are good and these things are bad. And they try to justify it by, well, it's the best thing for society if we do these good things. And I'm sitting there going, doesn't evolution believe in the survival of the fittest? So wouldn't murder be a good thing in evolution? But you're saying it's bad. You know, you have no answer for this question. Because if we're just cosmic accidents, there is no morality. There is no right and wrong. But we know there is. Augustine felt guilty. Rousseau felt guilty because we know in our minds, in our consciences, that there is a God and there is right and wrong. And the Bible, our worldview, explains for us why things are the way they are. And if you see your problem is this, is this, if you see that the problem is your sin, then what you see is the cure is Jesus Christ. It explains everything about the Bible. It explains why Jesus came and why he was born of a virgin and why he lived a sinless life. It says that he was without sin. Never one time committed any of these sins because he represented what we should have been, what Adam should have been, what we should have been, what we were created to be to glorify God and honor the Father. And when Jesus was a young boy and he's left in Jerusalem, you know, he's like, I... I, I was where you thought I should have been. I was with my father. That's where I belong. That's that's how we should live. He was without sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, that dealt with our problem between us and God. And God punished him. Instead of punishing us like Achan was punished and stoned and burned, Jesus was crucified in our place. And that is the cure. I love Ada's testimony from Sunday morning. When, when she became aware of her sin and she was like, I had already heard of the cure, Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you. Listen, if you haven't experienced that yet, it's coming because you're a sinner and your conscience and you know the truth. You know God's law. You know who the Lord is. You know what he's commanded of you. And when you have that moment of conviction where you realize, you know, mom and dad may not know what I'm thinking and what my desires. And you know yourself. So you know these corrupt desires and you know these thoughts and you know sin is inside of you. And when you really become convicted of that and you see that and you realize this is just gross and it's wicked and it's against God. I pray you remember, but there is a Savior who came and died for my sins, and I can be forgiven. I don't have to clean myself up. I can can turn from my sins, and I can put my faith in Jesus Christ, and God promises He will forgive me. He has already dealt with the problem and sent a Savior. And sadly, this is what's so sad to me, so many Christians are losing the gospel and they're fumbling a Christian worldview because they're getting it wrong, not on if there's a God and who God is. They're getting it wrong on the doctrine of sin. And they're starting to believe, well, we're not really that bad. Ligonier does this study every two years called the State of Theology. They did this in 2020. And one of their things is they ask Christians 
Do you agree with this sentence? They have all kinds of different ones. You can look it up online. And one of the sentences was, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Half of the Christians that were asked completely agreed with that sentence. Half of the Christians, Protestant Christians, evangelical Christians, agreed that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. Listen, you read this, that sentence doesn't jive with this book right here. We are not good by nature. We are sinful by nature. Now, once we're born again and God gives us a new heart, there's a transformation that takes place, but we are sinful by nature. Half of Christians agreed with that, and from that one misstep, okay, just this one question, is humanity basically good from birth by nature, or is humanity basically sinful? Okay, one misstep on that question leads you down a path that does not lead to the atonement, doesn't lead to the gospel of Jesus Christ, doesn't lead to the resurrection meaning much for us, doesn't lead to the grace of God being our only means of salvation by faith. And what's sad is you have Christians saying all these things because they misstep on this one issue. You have all these Christians saying things like, you know, it doesn't really matter uh, which God you worship as long as you are sincere. How do you get there from Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? You know, they get there because they think we're basically good. And people are basically good by nature and they're sincere and they're trying. You know, they're trying. So God's okay with that. That's how they get there. It's a misstep. And I don't want you to misstep on this question because then we fumble the gospel of Jesus Christ. I only have a few minutes left, but let me tell you quickly a couple of ways I see this misstep creeping into this generation, okay? There's two main ways I see this happening. Number one is I I see so many Christians picking up on this message and using it. The message is, follow your heart. I hear this all the time. I told you about this, about when I hear people say, believe in yourself. I hear believe in yourself all the time. We were watching the other night, we were watching uh, American Idol. And over and over again, they kept saying, you just need to believe in yourself more. And I was like about to lose my mind. And then we decided believe in yourself means you're not very good. That's what we discern. The people who are like killing it, they weren't telling them to believe in themselves. They're like, man, you're good. The people who are really struggling, you need to believe in yourself more. I'm like, no, you need to tell them they stink and they're out to be voted off the show. You know, they need to believe in themselves less is what I'm seeing going on here, but you're lying to them. And when I hear people say, follow your heart. I mean, it's in Christian music, Christian books, Christian literature, Christian sermons. Follow your heart. Okay, take Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Is that what you want to follow, you know? But what's deceitful above all things? Take Mark 7, what Jesus teaches us. Our heart can be deceived. We have to guard our hearts. Now, if our hearts are loving God and following God's word, yeah, sure, follow your heart. But my heart has to come into submission to God's word before I'm going to follow anything it craves or desires. 91% of Christians... I'm sorry, 91% of Americans agree with this statement. The best way to find yourself 
is by looking within yourself. Follow your heart. Believe in yourself. This, this, this message has infiltrated Christianity. I mean, release your inner powers, you know. Believe in your power to do things. Believe in yourself. Have self-confidence. Have self-esteem. You know, you're a, you're a princess. You're a prince. All these messages. It's just, man, Christian radio, these songs are filled with this over and over and over. You have to discern when we read Scripture. When I look within, what I see is not a pretty picture. But when I look upward and outward, when I look at God, when I look at Jesus Christ, man, that's, that's something worthy of worship and praise, not myself. Don't be sucked into this lie. Second way, I see this creeping into Christianity, and I wish I had more time to talk about this, is in the therapeutic gospel. Okay, I have this article which... Um, I actually left in my office. I'll get it afterwards, and I'm going to put it at the Welcome Center. I have about 50 copies. It's called The Therapeutic Gospel by David Powelson, and he hits this nail on the head. Every parent, you need to have this article because he just hits it on the head how this is creeping into Christianity. This, this, this psychological self-esteem, self-confidence, self-focused way of thinking. Uh, he talks about in the article how we try to make the gospel fit people's needs. So historically, people needed, you know, they needed food, they needed shelter, they needed clothing. And so Christians, in a, in a, a good desire to help people in need, would try to meet those needs. But at times, they wouldn't preach the gospel to people. They would just clothe them and feed them and think, that's all I need to do. And Pallison talks about how that was kind of a social gospel, but now this has shifted today where our needs have shifted. You know, you, we used to need those basic necessities, but now, we, you know, we have clothing, we have food, we have an abundance, we have a home, we don't have to worry about those things. And so now, Pallison says we have these more luxurious needs, and we try to make Jesus meet those needs for people. So he says the needs we have today are things like we need to feel loved for who we are. To feel accepted unconditionally. We need to experience a sense of personal fulfillment. To feel like our lives really matter. We need to gain self-esteem that our opinions and desires matter to others. We need to be entertained to feel pleasure and never experience boredom. We need a sense of adventure and excitement. And so people try to say, hey, come to Jesus and your life will matter and you're going to have this adventure and this excitement. And they try to make Jesus fit these needs. And it's sad because it's not really addressing the problem we have. It's trying to make the gospel fit worshiping ourselves and pleasing ourselves. And Powelson says this in the article. He says, in this new gospel, the great evils to be redressed do not call for any fundamental change of direction in the human heart. So instead of telling someone, quit craving what you want, turn from that and follow the Lord, we, we don't address that in this new false therapeutic gospel. Instead, the problem lies in my sense of rejection from others. In my corrosive experience of life's vanity, in the imminent threat of boredom if my music is turned off, in my fussy complaints when a long, hard road lies ahead. The definition of disease, the disease bypasses 
the sinful human heart. You are not the agent of your deepest problems, but merely a sufferer and victim of unmet needs. Okay, teens, you're going to be tempted to think this, I promise you. Because every teenager is tempted to think this. I'm just a victim of my unmet needs. That is a lie. The offer of a cure skips over the sin-bearing Savior. Repentance from unbelief, willfulness, and wickedness is not the issue. Sinners are not called to a U-turn into the new life that is life indeed. Such a gospel, this false gospel, massages self-love. So true. I love this. Powelson is like one of the most gentlest biblical counselors. He's soft-spoken. And he has a section in here I have to read to you. It's one of my favorite David Powelson quotes where he's talking about our prayers express our desires. And he's talking about the Lord's Prayer. And he rewrites the Lord's Prayer like we're trying to meet these desires that he's talking about, this therapeutic gospel. And he says, imagine this prayer. Our Father in heaven, help me feel that I'm okay just the way I am. Protect me this day from having to do anything I find boring. Hallelujah, I'm indispensable. And what I'm doing is really having an impact on others so I can feel good about my life. Woo! He just took some people out with that prayer. That's like a biblical counselor, you know, slamming you basically is what's happening there. But this is what's happened is when we think too highly of ourselves and we think it's all about me and we lose the doctrine of sin, that the main problem is my sin against a holy God. And we begin to think, my problem is, well, there's not enough adventure in my life. Or I'm bored and I need more things to entertain me. That's my problem. Or my problem is my parents. They're too restrictive and trying to tell me what to do. And I need more freedom. Or the problem is my teachers. They're too demanding of me. You know, you can just see this creeping in. And it's a different worldview. And the problem is, no, the problem is my heart. The, the gospel and the, and the Bible is clear. I'm the problem. My teacher's not the problem. Mom and dad's not the problem. You know, uh, this coach is not the problem. I'm the problem. And when you start there, the amazing thing is there's a cure. There's an answer in Jesus Christ. I can turn away from myself. I can turn away from my sin. I can trust in Christ and be forgiven of my sin. So this is an article I highly recommend for every parent I'll put them on the Welcome Center later this evening, but grab that. It's a wonderful article. Listen, the real gospel doesn't massage self-love. It calls us to repentance and faith in Christ. It calls us to die to ourselves and to live for someone greater than us. It calls us to self-denial. It's not about me. It's not about my desires. It's not about my happiness or what I crave. It's about him and following him and worshiping him and loving him. And when I do that, the Bible says that's when I'm going to be happiest. The problem is not that we have to believe in ourselves more. The problem is not a lack of self-esteem. The problem is not that we must be made more of. The problem is not that we need our lives to matter more. The problem is sin. It's pride. It's self-love. It's unbelief. It's idolatry. And the good news of the Christian worldview in the gospel 
is God has sent a Savior to deal with our problem and to change us and to bring us real forgiveness, real joy, real transformation. And so don't be deceived into believing these false worldviews, that you're basically good, that people are basically good, that we need to believe in ourselves more or follow our hearts you know, or, or our desires need to be met. Those are all false worldviews. And the Christian worldview is so much better. And I'm going to spend, I want to end because I want to spend a few minutes talking about this together as family. So let me pray for you and then we'll dive into a little time of discussion. So Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for Relay. I thank you for your word. I know sometimes it's hard to hear because it confronts us. It cuts us. It tells us the truth about who we are and what we've done. But it's so freeing to know we can turn from our sins. There is a Savior. There is forgiveness. There is a way of escape from temptation that you have provided for us, God. So thank you for the good news of the gospel. I pray for these teens tonight who are on my heart. I pray that they would trust in Christ. They would believe in Jesus. They would turn to him. They would turn away from themselves and their self-love. And they would love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do that by your Holy Spirit supernaturally tonight, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ten, ten minutes for three discussion questions we have. So as you think about what's wrong in the world, what is normally communicated as the problem so what messages movies books songs what have you seen out there that communicates what the problem is number two why is it helpful to see our sin is the problem are there times you are tempted to think others are the problem before addressing your own heart and then finally what is the solution to our problem what should we do with our sin to live in the good of the gospel more. So kickstart those conversations about 10 minutes and then we'll return to singing to close out the evening.